Thank you for joining us today. At ResLife, our mission is to develop committed followers of Jesus Christ to reach the world. Our content is created to equip and empower you in God's purpose. We hope you enjoy this message. Hey, great to see you this week. Uh, we are going to continue a series on marriage today. Marriage, well, really, we've called this Home, Family, and Marriage Series. Uh, this is the third part. Today, we want again talk about marriage, talk about family. But uh, one of the things that, that really, uh, I don't know how to say, it's going to shake a home up, is when one of your children brings home that, that special somebody. And, and you're like, we, you, you know, you want to measure them, you want to check them out. And are, what are you seeing that they're not seeing? And uh, Jeannie has a little story here about. Okay, so a young woman brought her fiancé home to meet her parents. And after dinner, her mother told her father to find out about that young man. So the father invited the fiancé into his study for a talk. So, young man, what are your plans? The father asked. Well, I'm a biblical scholar, he replies. Okay, hmm, a biblical scholar. Admirable, but what will you do to provide a nice house for my daughter to live in? I will study, the young man replied, and God will provide for us. Okay, and how will you buy her a beautiful engagement ring such as she deserves? Asked the father. I will concentrate on my studies, the young man replied, and God will provide for us. And children? Asked the father. Well, how will you support children? Don't worry, sir. God will provide, replies the fiancé. Well, the conversation proceeded like this, and each time the father questioned, the young idealist insisted that God would provide. <laughs> Later, the mother asked, well, how did it go, honey? The father answered, well, he has no job, he has no plans, and he thinks I'm God. <laughs> All right. Say, now, marriage was God's idea. God instituted marriage in the Garden of Eden. And the way that marriage was supposed to work would be Adam, Eve, and God. In the, the uh, book of Ecclesiastes in the Bible, it talks about a cord of three strands is not easily broken. So marriage was designed to work with God included. And I say that to say this. Marriage was not designed to meet all of your needs. And so often people will go into marriage and they think this is going to meet every one of my needs, anything that I'm missing, any place I'm empty, they are going to meet that. Now, the truth is, God would never have designed marriage to meet all your needs because then you wouldn't need him. The psalmist David said in Psalms 87 in verse 7, he says, all my springs or reasons for joy are in you. In other words, you're never going to be complete without the Lord. But if we don't look to God to meet those needs, what we automatically do by default is we look to the person that's the closest to us. So by default, if we aren't looking to God to meet our needs, then we're going to look to our spouse to meet our needs. And marriage was not designed, and your spouse was not designed to meet every one of your needs. That's one of the reasons that we need to have God in our marriages. We like to say it like this. Marriage was not designed to make you happy. Marriage was designed to mature you. you know, people, in other words, when you get married, all of a sudden you're going to see how selfish you are. You're going to be able to recognize your need for change, for growth, to lay down your life. Yeah, how do, 
patience, uh, understanding, forgiveness. I mean, just the fruit of the Spirit needs to abound, and that's where it grows in, in relationships. And um, when he says that it's not there to meet your need, I think a lot of times, um, so you guys, you think, wow, um, the pastor, well, if you don't know what it's like to be married to the pastor, um, it can be challenging because not only is he my husband, but then he is my pastor too. And it's really easy for wives to want their husbands to be their savior. And especially pastors' wives can be a little hard on their husbands, like, you know, the husband should not be human. And, <laughs> and like she'd say, she'd say uh, read one of your books. Would you read that book you wrote? You know, because you need to do that. <laughs> yeah, live what you preach. Um, the, but life, life is real, huh? <laughs> He, he does live what he preaches. I just was. Well, you know, you need, you need to tell that story where you were, you were in court. Remember you? In... Oh, that was funny. So I was one of the, the <laughs> when they bring you in to pick the jury. And so we were sitting there, you know, getting interviewed for, for that thing. And then they had the lunch break. And the lady I was sitting next to, I was visiting with her and, and got around to, you know, what church you go to. And, and I said, I went to Resurrection Life Church. Really? Oh, that's exciting. We go to this other church, but every morning I wake up listening to that preacher, and um, she, she says, oh, it's a really big church. You probably don't even know him, do you? <laughs> and I said, you know, that was a real opportunity to say, well, I sleep with him. <laughs> uh, but I clarified I was his wife. <laughs> yeah, that was important. Oh, yeah. That's better, yeah. <laughs> but but we, we do have, we do need, women need security and we need uh, appreciation and affirmation, those things, and it's... It's, it's easy for any woman to, to look and just want their husband to be their savior or, or husbands for you to think, you know, I can't do this because my wife's not helping me enough. And we can put the because and buts and all of those kind of things on our, uh, I'm not doing this because. Well, I cannot really do a good job because my wife doesn't honor me. Well, I got to tell you something, guys. The Bible says that the Lord honors those who fear him. The best honor you will ever get is from God. And mm -hmm. so you might not get perfect honor from your imperfect wife, but you don't have to use that for an excuse to not grow and act more honorable and Christ-like and God-like. The more you grow in those areas, the easier it will be for her to honor you. And you know, women say it all the time, like, oh, yeah, I really want to honor my husband, and I will honor him when he straightens up. When mm -hmm. he acts right, then I'll honor him. And, and, and then the men are like, you know, I can't cherish her and do this because she doesn't. You know, we're always using the other one for an excuse for not doing our part. Don't let somebody being a jerk make you act like a jerk. That's not smart. No. And, um, you would not know about that. No. <laughs> I don't know about that. He's not a jerk. You're not a jerk. There was a day. <laughs> 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 
when, when mm, you know, when we talk about really, um, it's important that we love each other. That you know, we, I had a really good definition in here for that somewhere. Oh, here it is. That um, the agape kind of love, the kind of love that God commands you men to have as husbands, primarily is determined by the character that you have. The character of the one who loves is going to determine the type of love that they can give. You, can, you really give out of the abundance of what's in your heart. So um, it's important that you, your, our hearts are right with God so that we can overflow with right attitudes. And, um, and, and for the woman, um, it says that she should, and actually the Greek word, where she's to love her husband well, is phileo, which means to like your husband. So you not only are supposed to love him, which you can love people you don't know. You can love, we're supposed to love our enemies and those who treat you um, spitefully, which sometimes happens in the marriage. Someone, to, your, your spouse might not treat you right, but you know you're supposed to love them, so you love them and you forgive them, but that doesn't mean you like them. <laughs> and that's, that's a really important, to have a happy marriage, that's an important key, is to learn to like, that you can like your spouse, like your wife, and like your husband. And that means on purpose, enjoy them, on purpose. Um, I remember one time in the car, he reached over and took my hand, and he's holding my hand, and probably I was ticked at him about something. I don't know what, <laughs> because it was, it, my attitude was not real good. And then I started thinking about how good it felt. His hand feels really good. I love the feeling of my hand in his and the strength from his hand. And I thought, you know what? I should tell him. I like holding your hand. I like that. Thank you. That feels good. And then I realized I was making an on-purpose choice to like my husband, to enjoy my husband. Another time, most husbands will want to give you a hug before they leave for work. And um, so, you know, he gave me a hug, and, and he's going out the door, and I, no, come back, give me another hug. I said, <laughs> because I just realized there's something happens inside me when you hug me. It feels good. I think it's... I think there's a vitamin they can't sell in the store. It's vitamin H. It stands for hugs. And, and, you know, and I just realized I could soak it up and receive it. I think there's a lot of times we get so used to just living together and, yeah, you know, good, goodbye. I love you. I love you too. And it just becomes this automatic not meaning anything. But when you begin to realize and take the time to to be thankful in your heart for these things, you start treasuring them and thinking, wow, I like it when he's near me. I like it when he touches me. I like this. We have a kind of a small area in the kitchen, and Dwayne was, like, upset because you, you keep getting in my way, and there's only so much room, and now with a walker in the kitchen, it's really crowded. <laughs> but uh, so I thought, it's all in perspective. I said, honey, the reason I'm... You're tripping over me all the time, and I'm in your way, is because you're like this magnet, and I'm drawn to you. <laughs> and so when you're around, I just get close, and I get in your way because you're just so wonderful. It's your fault. So. Hey. 
true, 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 true. Research by a West German insurance company revealed that the man who kisses his wife goodbye, I mean really kisses his wife goodbye, will live an average of five and a half years longer than those men who forego the pleasant little interlude. So men, your, wife, your life depends on this. <laughs> and not only that, but men who really kiss their wife goodbye when they leave in the morning earn an average of 20 to 30% more than men who leave their home under their own power. So wives, you can affect Come on. your shopping budget. Okay. Now, uh, I, I looked at the news this morning. Anybody else look at the news this morning? Wave at me. How many of you notice Pamela Anderson? She has decided to uncouple. She's been married for 12 days. <laughs> and uh, they, they're, they're just, they're like, this is it. I, I thought some of the things she said were very interesting. She said about what we want from each other, what we want from each other. Uh, men, I want you to listen to this. This is Ephesians 5. It's amazing to me that the verse that most men know about marriage is wives submit. But this is the better one, all right? Husbands, love your wives just like Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. So literally, somebody said, what, what does that really mean? That means, men, you die first. You lay down your life first. Jesus laid down his life for us. Well, the Bible says literally he redeemed us while we were yet enemies. And the Bible says, husbands, you lay down your life first. You, you love your wife like Christ loved the church. Another one of the, 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 the things that really stood out to me was here's somebody rich, beautiful, successful, famous. But all of that didn't make a good marriage. And here's what she said. She said, well, love is a process. Now, listen, love is not a process. Love is a decision. See, you get married and you say, I'm going to love you till death do its part. You cannot decide how you're going to feel today for the next 70 years. But you can decide what you're going to do. Because love is not a feeling. Love is a decision. The Bible says it endures long with patience and serenity. Love is kind and thoughtful. It's not jealous or envious. It doesn't brag. It's not proud or arrogant. It's not rude or self-seeking. It's not provoked. It's overly sensitive, easily angered. It doesn't take an account to a wrong suffered or a wrong endured. Now, those are not feelings. Those are decisions. Jesus said, there's no greater love than to lay down your life. Jesus didn't feel good about going to the cross. He wasn't in the garden of Gethsemane going, hallelujah, I get to die. <laughs> no, he was praying. He was saying, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. He was sweating like drops of blood. His capillaries literally were busting on the inside. Uh, it was not a feeling, it was a decision. And through the years, I've had many people come and say, well, I don't love them anymore. Well, you need to repent and start because love is not a feeling. But let me just say this. If you make the right decisions, the feelings will come. If you make the right decisions, your feelings will change. In fact, as Jesus is addressing the church 
in the book of Revelation, there's a church. He says, you've left your first love. And he says, now repent. He said, and do the things you used to do and do the first works. Now, sociologists tell us that uh, for a couple to fall in love, they have to spend 15 quality hours together a week. Now, if you remember when you were, you were infatuated with your spouse, I mean, you'd like to do anything just to be around him, just to spend time with him. You'd go places you would never go normally. You'd do stuff you wouldn't normally do. But you spent that time with him. You know, you were, you were communicating. You were, you were sharing. And this bond and these feelings came. Now, Jesus is saying, do the things you did at first. He said, in those same feelings that you once had, will come back. But love is not a feeling. Love is a decision. And a decision that God honors. I think a lot of times we, we think that our, it's all our own efforts that make it, you know, are going to make our life. And we do make our own choices, but then God blesses the right choice and uh, that's really important. Look at Hebrews 12, 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Let brotherly love continue. And I like reading um, that let the love continue right with that because it says we have to have grace to serve God acceptably. We need grace it's important to ask and seek and receive grace to serve and to know that grace is not just the perspective of getting our sins washed away. Grace is more than forgiveness. Grace is divine influence and power that affects our daily life. It affects our perspective of others. It affects ourself. It affects our relationships. It equips us to do things divinely mm -hmm. beyond our own ability and strength. I mean, that's what you need sometimes when someone offends you and, and your spouse doesn't treat you the way you thought you should be treated and you need to respond in, in love. You need to respond with forgiveness. Grace enables us to do life supernaturally. And so um, to plug into that and receive the grace of God for um, liking each other, for enjoying each other, for making your life good together. Proverbs 31 is really famous as being the, the, the proverb about the virtuous woman. And, and it, that is in there. But really, if you look at it, it's really teaching about marriage. And I love how this, this starts out. It says, who can find a virtuous woman? Her worth is far above rubies. The first thing that it tells us we need to do is we need to recognize the value of our spouse. We need to be grateful for our spouse. And so often in marriage, we just kind of get to the point where we just take everything for granted. That should never, ever happen. And then the next thing that it says, and we aren't going to get, take a lot of time with this, it says the heart of her husband is safely trust in her. And the foundation for marriage, more than love, is trust. You see, you can love somebody with all your heart, but if you can't trust them, it's a nightmare. It's a nightmare. And, and trust is not something that we demand. It's something that we earn. We earn it by constantly being trustworthy. So when we value somebody, we're going to appreciate them. We're going to brag about them. When they need defending, we're going to defend them. In, in the uh, 28th verse of this chapter, 
This is what it says. It says, her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also and praises her. And says, many daughters have done well, but you have done better than them all. So this is like a, a class for husbands. And it says, guys, you need to do this. You need to praise your wife. You need to tell her how great she is. You need to tell her, babe, there's a lot of ladies, but there is nobody like you. You are the most awesome woman on planet Earth. And if I could, I'd marry you again in a second. That was like the best decision I ever made outside of getting <laughs> saved. Right Now, listen, listen, man, every man, literally every man should tell his wife that. You should tell your wife that if you're married. Now, when you do, you are deceived because my wife is the best. But you should tell her anyway. That's what every man should believe, right? This is literally teaching us what we are supposed to do. Now, Jimmy Evans says this. He says, the Bible teaches about marriage, but it's surprising how little it teaches about marriage. When you consider how big a deal marriage is in most people's lives. But this is what he said. He said, because if you're just a good Christian, he said, you'll make a good spouse. If you're a good Christian, you'll make a good spouse. In other words, we're going to have more of the fruit of the Spirit. More love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Uh, those things are going to begin to just blossom in our lives. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, this is what it says. Now, getting down to the questions you asked in your letter to me. So, Paul establishes a church at Corinth, and then he has left. And so they send him a letter. And they say, we've got some questions. And so he's writing them a letter back, and it's in your Bible. It's called 1 Corinthians, right? And he starts to answer their questions. So getting down to the questions that you ask in your letter to me. First question, is it a good thing to have sexual relationships? That's their question. His answer, certainly, but only within certain context. He says, God created sex. Sex is good. In fact, when God created everything, he said, looked at it, he said, it's very good. I say, amen. All right. But he said, now, where is the context for sexual relationships? The context is in marriage. Inside marriage, sex is good, it's right, and sex is holy. Now, listen, before you're married, the devil will do everything that he can to get you in bed. After you're married, the devil will do everything he can to keep you out of bed. Because that's the place where it's blessed. That's where, the, that's where we find the context for marriage. And what the devil always wants to do is he wants us to misuse things. It's good for a man to have a wife and for a woman to have a husband. Sexual drives are strong. I, I want to just say something here. Um, I know I'll probably get some emails tomorrow. But I'm reading the Bible. This is the Bible. And some people will say, well, you shouldn't talk about that in church. It's in the Bible. Okay, this is the Bible. Sexual desires are strong. But marriage is strong enough to contain them and provide for a balanced and fulfilling sexual life in a world of sexual disorder. So the Bible is telling us, don't look at the world, where they're going, what they're doing. He says, the sexual desires that we have, 
They're good, they're right, they're strong, and inside marriage, they're there to be fulfilled. Now, I do want to say something here. You should not violate your conscience. Uh, if, if the spouse is saying, hey, I want you to do this, or I want to do this, and that violates your conscience, that's not right. You do not do something that violates your conscience. Listen, the marriage bed is a place of mutuality. The husband seeking to satisfy his wife. The wife seeking to satisfy her husband. Marriage is not a place to stand up for your rights. Marriage is a decision to serve the other, whether in bed or out. I think that one probably doesn't need much explanation, but would you like to say something? About serving both? Um, I personally, well, I'm very female, and, and so when I go into the marriage, I was understanding sex was a part of it and it was great, but I sure didn't have the same drive he did. And um, it was shocking. Um, and it's just like, you know, I love how Proverbs puts it like the man's sex drive is like a fountain. It just, he's always... Ready. Always turned on, like always <laughs> ready, always, um, which, yeah, they don't prepare you that in kindergarten or anywhere else. So, um, you know, just learning that our perspectives are different. Yeah. We, we hold that thought. Hold that thought. Now, now this, is, this is true, okay? There's this uh, counselor, and he's got this couple, and they're having some difficulties when it comes to sex. And so he said to her, well, you know, well, uh, how, how, you know, how is the sex life? And, and she says, oh, it's just all the time, three times a week, all the time. And said to him, how's your sex life? He says, almost never, three times a week. <laughs> You'll catch that later. Go that ahead. was a difference of perspective, for yes, sure. Yes, that's exactly. Uh, mm. And so, you know, at the very beginning of our marriage, there was the, oh, this is, you know, what's, this is just part of it, um, part of the marriage, and, and um, it's got to happen, and that's uh, what you got to do to have babies. And, you know, I mean, I, my attitude was really pretty poor. I was definitely never going to refuse it, but I wasn't going to enjoy it so much. You were willing but not enthusiastic. Yeah, and it was that I read it, then I, f- I figured it out. The one time I'm reading that scripture where um, it says that, you not to deny each other. And so I got the picture of what it was like when someone would, if someone would give me a gift and I like, oh, sit it over there. I really don't care. Whatever. You know, if they didn't receive it. And when I got that vision of Sex is made for in the marriage because it's to be mutually satisfying and it's for you both. Then um, the light was turning on like, okay, we, I receive, he has a gift. I receive from him and I give to him. How do I give to him? And, he, and we receive from each other mutual satisfaction. And then I, I really began to have this revelation of, wow, sex is not just about scratching an itch that, you know, man's just got to have this. But what I realized that was, 
the man, the husband, my husband loves me. That made a huge difference when I realized, oh, he loves me. He doesn't just love it. He loves me. He likes me. He, he, he wants to be with me. He enjoys me. I'm special to him. I mean, it's just like, I should have known this from the very beginning, but when the light went on, like, wow, then this is fun because I'm liked. I'm wanted. I'm needed. And, and it changed the whole perspective and, and made it able to be mutually satisfying because then I began to be thankful for him and be thankful for um, that, the relationship with him. And there's nothing that makes... Um, and I know, maybe young boys don't comprehend um, young men. Maybe they kind of are a little out of balance and thinks it's just about it and don't realize that the more they're going to have more enjoyment once they learn to really um, treasure and value her and meet her needs. And, and, and how, the more he pours into her, the easier it is for her to pour into him. When it's mutually satisfying and when you're giving and forgiving and realize, oh man, he forgave me. Isn't he awesome? Yes, he forgave me. Now, I'm, and I'll tell you what. Okay. I have a love language that is like when you do things for others. Um, I don't remember what you call it. Acts, acts of, of service. service. They, but... Um, and gardening was very important to me. And I, Dwayne, and I remember looking out the window one time, and he's rototilling. And I'm thinking, oh, it's my lover. <laughs> it was turning me on. I know, guys. I just, like, I wanted him. And, and you know, that, maybe that wasn't a natural thing that he was going to think, like, wow, I'm being real sexy being out here rototilling. Um, but, you know, in learning to meet each other's needs and being mutually satisfying, you do become more satisfiable. I, I don't know how to put it other than, than um, in marriage, sex is an awesome thing that, that um, gets to reward and, and uh, refresh and, and encourage and yeah, so everybody go rotor tail. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, let us close a little more Bible. Uh, <laughs> abstaining from sex is permissible for a period of time if you both agree to it. So, with that said, let me say this. There should be no sexless marriages. No sexless marriage. It's only permissible for a period of time if you both agree to it. But for the purpose, it says, of praying and fasting. But only for such times, then come back together again. So my question always is, how long can you fast? How long can you fast? Because the Bible says that's when it's permissible. You both agree, but it's for a special time of prayer and fasting. We want to just point out again that love is not what Hollywood says it is. It's not a feeling. Love is a decision, right? God created sex. Sex is good. Sex is right. Sex is holy. But inside the confines of marriage, inside those confines, it's, it's going to be a blessing. Outside, again, the enemy always tries to take what God puts his blessing on and tries to pervert it and tries to use it in a way that it was not intended to be used. But as Christians, we know its purpose. And when we know the purpose and we know the confines for something, then we're able to use that thing 
properly. Uh, we've told the story before of uh, our grand, grandson took the iPhone and put it in the toilet. You know, the reason he did, because he didn't know that iPhones weren't supposed to go in toilets. And a lot of people, when it comes to sexuality, they don't know what their sexuality is really for and what the confines are, and they end up throwing it in the toilet. Now, the, really, the great thing is this, that no matter what mistakes we've made, God will redeem us. God will redeem us. Say, so would you please bow your heads for just a moment? Thank you for watching and being a part of our online family. Subscribe to our channel for access to all of our videos and live services. You can also be notified when a new service becomes available if you ring the notification bell. We cannot do this without you. You can support this ministry and help us reach more people with the word by giving at reslife.org give. Thanks again for watching. Be blessed.